Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, we will be reading verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Of all the days, of all the weeks, of all the Lord's days on Sunday, of all the people in the world, in the Lord's providence, I will be preaching on parenting this morning Uh, two days after uh, one of the most important days in our country, in our history, that a tyrannical and atrocious decision by the Supreme Court was overruled, praise the Lord. Um, But I have to say that I'm a little intimidated this morning to be speaking on parenting. There are many out there that are more qualified than myself, um, but we'll rely on the Lord's grace and His mercy this morning. I think it would be appropriate, although we did just pray, let's take a moment to, to praise the Lord through prayer before we set off on this journey. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, you are good, you are just, you are righteous. You are gracious. And we gather this morning around your word to hear truth from it. We praise you for the actions this week. O Lord, Lord, I ask for forgiveness as a nation, that you would be merciful to us. I pray that the church would be faithful in this time, that we would call evil, evil, and point those around us to your attributes. Lord, in the last 50 years, there's been countless children murdered in the womb. Those that want to mar your image. And oh Lord, what can we say other than we rely on your strength and your grace and your mercy every day? But Lord, we praise you. We praise you for these actions and we pray that we would continue as a church, to be faithful to you and to your word. O Lord, speak to us this morning. Show us your truth. Help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ more and more. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Regimented. Regimented is a word that I would use to describe... um, probably mine and my wife's parenting style. Um, We are a regimented bunch, um, especially when it it comes to our morning routine. Um, Considering that myself and my wife both work, we both have fairly demanding jobs. If we do not have a very consistent morning routine, we will never get out the door. Um, We'll never get moving on the day. We'll never accomplish the tasks that we need to accomplish. We are are a regimented bunch, Um, not every day but most days. Recently, as I was going through uh, my morning routine, I heard my wife in our youngest daughter's room, um, Lucy and Rachel, 
And I could tell that something was wrong by the tone of the voice. I knew exactly what had happened, and I heard my wife say, Rachel, go to the bathtub now. I know exactly what happened. As I peeked out the door and I looked at my daughter who was sitting on the edge of the bathtub, um, her back and her clothes were completely stained brown with feces. This is a normal occurrence at our house. And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean completely covered. As I went into her room to investigate more, there were piles on the bed, and there were also claw and fingerprint marks all over the curtains. This is parenting. (laughs) This is normal. So I did what any loving father and uh, husband would do. I made sure to let my wife know that I was in a hurry to get to work and got on my clothes (laughs) and said I had some important meetings. I love you, babe. Have a great day. We'll see you later. I say that sarcastically, but not too sarcastically. Um, But to say that this was a picture for me of our Heavenly Father and His love for us and how he reaches down and picks us up in the mornings and cleanses us and cleans us and cares for us and loves us. He cleanses us through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we should be thankful for that. We as parents are able to imitate somewhat in a non-perfect way to our children how our Lord and Heavenly Father treats us. But I ask this morning, is there any more formidable task than raising a child? Is there any more difficult task? I don't know. It's a little like constantly rowing a boat that is taking on water. You're just trying to get the water out of the boat and just continually row, looking and hoping that you'll make it to shore, but it never happens. You just have to continue on and continue trudging forward. Um, Parenting is probably on the level of Navy SEAL training. I'm not sure which one is higher, um, but Navy SEAL training ends at some point and parenting just continues on. And there's so much advice out there about parenting, so much apprehension, anxiety, and judgment regarding parenting. Everyone has the answer or the key to what it takes to be a good parent and to raise good children. And it starts right from the beginning. Do you have a natural birth or do you have an epidural? Do you have a hospital birth or do you have a home birth? Breastfeeding. Do you breastfeed your children or do you feed them a bottle? I once was on a four-hour car ride with a gentleman. This was long before I had kids. He wanted to tell me that the key to healthy and obedient kids was breastfeeding. I sarcastically prayed that we would get in a crash because I didn't want to hear this for four hours. It was a waste of my time. How about children and phones? At what age do we give them technology? Often, me and my wife, ashamed to say, and probably some of you as well, um, sit and judge other people about how they give their kids phones too early, that they have access to the world's evils. And that's probably true for some. What about food, health food versus junk food? Some people think that this is the key to parenting. Sometimes I'll go over to someone else's house and we'll have dinner with them and I feel ashamed that they have $15 organic bananas from Whole Foods. 
and then embarrassingly invite people over to my house where we might possibly have hot dogs and chicken nuggets because it's all we can put together. Why do parents get so upset and offended when they're given parenting advice or correction? Whenever your, children is, your child or children are doing something wrong, we get very offended often when someone tries to let us know that our child is acting up or doing something wrong on the playground or at school. I believe this is because our children naturally reflect our character as parents. And sometimes we're blinded to that, but often when our children are acting up, they're reflecting our character. Think about this. We are natural image bearers of the Lord. We are created this way, and our children reflect our character. So often when they're misbehaving, it's a reflection on us as parents, and that's a hard pill for some of us to swallow. There are many different principles that we could look at regarding parenting this morning. In fact, the entire book of Proverbs, as we have seen, is a book on parenting. It's a book from the father to the son or from the king to the son. It is full of parenting principles and precepts that we should be teaching our children, that we should be learning from ourselves. But this morning, I want to look at what I believe is the key to biblical parenting. And it might surprise you what it is. I think that the key to biblical parenting is theology. Theology, theology, theology. In fact, I've entitled today's sermon, Theological Parenting. And what I mean by that is not some high academic pursuit. What I mean by that is theology by a word about the Lord, a study of His character and who He is, that we need to root what it is that we're doing as parents in God's holy, righteous, justice, and loving character. It's who God is. That's what we should be focusing on in our parenting. As we examine the principles of parenting this morning in Proverbs, or at least from Proverbs 22, I'm going to point out three important elements that the Bible teaches us about parenting. The first one is instruction. The second one is correction. And the third is love. And this just isn't any instruction, correction, or love. This is theological instruction, theological correction, and theological love. First, theology and instruction, or instruction rooted in theology, the character of God. Proverbs 22 says, train up a child. Let me ask you this morning, the title of the sermon is Theological Parenting. So what is theological parenting? To help us answer this question, I think it's important and helpful to talk about what theological parenting is not. This is a famous um, proverb uh, from Wit and Wisdom by Benjamin Franklin in the 18th century. He says this, Quote, educate your children to self-control, to the habit of holding passion and prejudice and evil tendencies subject to an upright and reasoning will. And you have done much to abolish misery from their future and crimes from society. I'm going to say that again because it's a mouthful. Quote, here's the proverb from Benjamin Franklin. Educate your children to self-control to the habit of holding passion and prejudice and evil tendencies subject to an upright and reasoning will. 
and you have done much to abolish misery from their future and crimes from society. Sounds pretty good, right? Probably fairly good advice. We want our children to hold their passions to a reasoning will. But ultimately, this is a-theological parenting. No theological parenting. There's no biblical worldview of what's going on. It's all about bettering society or brotherhood and unity, being successful. This was Benjamin Franklin's uh, calling card. He was a deist, ultimately. But this is not what I would call theological parenting. This morning, I'm going to define theological parenting as intentional, sustained God-dependent shepherding of our children. I'll say that again. Theological parenting is intentional, sustained, God-dependent shepherding of our children. As Christians, we should not be interested in sharing with our children merely helpful worldly information, but divine wisdom from above. So let me ask you this. As we begin looking at this verse in Proverbs, train up a child, what is training? What is the Lord saying to us in this proverb when he says, train up a child? I think the first thing that we should think about is training is very difficult. Think about the musician who has spent years, morning, noon, and night, blood, sweat, and tears to be able to train to master an instrument. It did not just happen overnight. There's been hours and hours of work that's been put into that. Think about the athlete who has competed on a high level, whether it's running a race or whether it's involved in some kind of sport, the physical and emotional energy that they have put into this training to be able to master it and to perform at a high level. That's what training is. It's not just going to the gym once and lifting a weight and calling it good. You don't build any muscle like that. That's what I do. Don't do that. When we talk about training, the first thing we need to think about when training our children is in order to be trained, i.e. children, you need to have an adequate trainer. The trainer is first and foremost the parents in the home. Spurgeon says this, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure to go that way yourself. That should be a firm warning to all of us. Are you adequately trained in the instruction of the Word of God to be able to train and to rear up your children in the ways of the Lord. Take a second and let that soak in. Can I speak and talk with my children about a mighty God who created the world and after the fall brought about a gospel of Jesus Christ to bring in the God in the flesh to be able to save us from our sins? By grace, through faith, not of our own works, do you understand the major doctrines of Scripture? Are you able to communicate that to your children? If you can't, you need to get started right now. You need to get in the books. You need to pay attention in church because this stuff is important. You need an adequate trainer. None of us would go and take piano lessons from someone that's never stroked a keyboard in their entire life. None of us would go and be... Uh, try to get in shape from a personal trainer that would be on my 600-pound life. We don't need that. We need someone who's in shape, someone who can accomplish the task, and our children do as well. So the first thing they need is an adequate trainer. The second thing we need to note about training is that it takes a lot of time. 
I've already mentioned this, but I hate to tell you this, parents, but training time eats into your own personal schedule and your own agenda. And you need to humble yourself. This is where it gets difficult. This is where it gets incredibly difficult for me because I am extremely self-centered. The first thing that I want to do after coming home from a long day of work, right? Because I've worked all day. I've earned this, is to put up my feet and scroll on my phone or some of the things that I like to enjoy, which is play guitar or listen to music. That's what I catch myself doing. doing. And you have your own personal vices, those things that you enjoy doing. But if you're not setting aside intentional time to spend with your children and rear them in the Lord, how are they ever going to learn anything? We read this morning in our corporate reading from Deuteronomy talking about teaching the commandments and precepts of the Lord to our children. In Deuteronomy 11, it says, You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 11 really quick and read this in context. Deuteronomy 11, the second giving of the law. What is it? Why is it going to take so much time? And why is it so important to teach our children in this way? What are we teaching them? Remember, this is Moses' words to the Israelites um, after they'd spent 40 years wandering in the desert, and now these are the children that are going into the promised land, and this is ratifying a new covenant with the Lord. I'm going to read a, a lengthy passage here, starting in verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all the land, and what he did to the army of Egypt to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and to Abiram and the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel, for your eyes have seen all the great things the Lord did. Skipping down what we read this morning in verse 18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart, all of these actions and commandments, and soul, so that you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you sit down in the house, when you're walking, etc., etc. This is what we are to be teaching and training our children in. This is a picture of the great salvation of the Lord in the Old Testament, the great salvation act of God bringing out Israel from Egypt, conquering their enslavement, bringing them out of bondage. This is a picture of what we should be teaching our children about the ultimate salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord that he came to earth and conquered sin and death on our behalf. All of these precepts we should be teaching to our children, and it's going to take time. We must also start when they're young. 
in some type of a catechetical method, being able to teach our children by repetition. The flavor of the day is to let children learn for themselves, let them be able to define themselves, who they are, be able to experience life. Well, there's some experiences that we do not want our children experiencing. We have to start when they're young. If you wait till a child starts learning their own way, it's going to be too late. Because we're going to find here in a few minutes that the way that they want to go is the way of death and destruction. The Hebrew word here in Proverbs 22, when we say train up a child in the way he should go, is not just talking about someone who is childish in the faith, but someone who is young, from infancy to adolescence. That is when we need to be training our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So that's briefly theological instruction rooted in the character of God. Let's move on to correction, theology and correction. Discipline rooted in God's character. Train up a child in the way he should go, Proverbs says. The way he should go versus the way that he or she is inclined to go. We've spoken over the last several months and weeks, Pastor Tim has talked about the two ways of Proverbs. There are two ways in Proverbs. If you haven't heard all of those sermons, please go back and listen to them. Uh, They're very good. But there's the the way of lady folly and the way of lady wisdom. And I'm here to tell you this morning that children are born with a bent towards following lady folly, towards moving towards a path of destruction. You mean my beautiful young child that was just born, that's a bundle of joy, is inclined to follow the way to destruction? Yes, absolutely. They are wonderful. And they have been made in the image of God, knit together in their mother's womb. But they're inclined to follow a path of destruction. We need to teach them who they are. We need to teach them what kind of world that they were brought into. We need to have a good doctrine of man. And what that means is a a biblical anthropology, an understanding that in all Adam die, we die. And we are all in Adam. Where do we go to look for this? We look in Psalm. In the Psalms, we look at David, Psalm 51. Turn there quickly. Psalm 51, verse 5. After David's sinning with Bathsheba, he says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He expounds upon this. Move over a couple of pages to Psalm 58. This is a section of scripture that often makes people feel uncomfortable. David says this, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent. You mean that beautiful baby that was just born? Yes. Like the deaf adder that stops its ear. An adder is a poisonous snake so that it does not hear the voice of the charmers or the cunning enchanter. This is a picture of children, is it not? Stopping up their ears so they don't have to hear their parents' instructions. Um, I once uh, knew uh, when I was a child a, a family who the parents were deaf, and the child, when he didn't want to listen to his parents, just closed his eyes. And I find that funny to this day, not making fun of anyone who's deaf, but that's, that's the natural child. To do that, that's our natural tendency. 
And the, the, the picture here is a snake coming out. You know, you see these snake charmers that are playing their flute to be able to, to put some type of a, you know, enchantment on this snake to be able to keep it from, from biting. Our children, without proper instruction and correction, are like a venomous snake um, who will bite and take hold of whatever they can. Given the choice, children will choose the path of death. Children have an innate desire to control their parents. Um, I know this as well as anyone. Some good examples. How about if uh, your son or daughter wants to have ice cream and they go to their mom and say, hey, mom, can I have some ice cream? Well, why don't you go ask your father? Hey, dad, mom said I could have some ice cream if you, as long as you say it's okay. Is that what happened? No, absolutely not. They have an innate desire to control their parents. How about negotiations? Kids love to negotiate with their parents. Hey, mom, can I have some ice cream? Um, how about trying to say, may I please have some ice cream? Can I have some ice cream? Well, no, you can't. You had cookies for, for lunch. Well, can I just have one scoop of ice cream? No, you can't have one. Can I have, just have one fruit snack? This is evidence of a path to destruction that kids are going down. They have a desire to get their own way and to be able to control their parents. How about bedtime? I won't even get into bedtime. It's one of the worst times of the day. Can I just have one more drink? Can I just, I need some medicine. That's something that I did to my, my mom growing up. I can remember um, I took uh, a medicine every night. I just kind of got out of bed. I was like, Mom, I need that medicine. And she would just give it to me kind of as a placebo. So I would go and get back in bed. I need to go to the bathroom. At what point do you put a stop to it? You have to. There are certain items that we should not let our children choose for themselves. We should not let them negotiate for themselves. Ultimately, we see the road in today's society where that goes. Ultimately, our children will be choosing their sex, whether they're a man or whether they're a woman. We need to teach them and rear them from the beginning what is right and what is wrong. In these things, we are responsible for correcting our children as parents. We're also responsible for spanking our children, and I know that this is a hot topic issue, but the Bible talks about it, so we're going to talk about it. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, I was doing a little bit of um, reading this week on spanking because there's just so much out there, and this is a fairly new article. It's entitled, The Effect of Spanking on the Brain. Spanking found... Spanking found to impact children's brain response, leading to lasting consequences. <laughs> I don't often agree with a, a probably a liberal school such as this, the Harvard Graduate School of Education, but I kind of agree with what it is that they're saying here. Um, their premise is obviously that, that spanking is horrible, that children should be able to experience their whole way, but here's the, kind of the crux of their argument. That was the title. The kind of the crux of their argument is this. The study looked at 147 children, including some who were spanked and some who were not spanked, in the beginning years of their lives to see potential differences to the brain. By using MRI, MRI assessment, researchers observed changes in brain response while the children viewed a series of images featuring facial expressions that indicate emotional response such as frowns and smiles. 
They found that children who had been spanked had a higher activity response in the areas of their brain that regulate these emotional responses and detect threats. Parents, I, I know that some don't like to hear this this morning, but we are told in Scripture to discipline and spank our children. And the crux of this article is that we need to not spank our children and that it's harsh and overbearing because we're putting our own expectations on them and we are training them to, to, to just follow um, our, 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 our own desires. But when this title is called The Effects of Spanking on the Brain, Spanking Found to Impact Children's Brain Response, and leading to lasting consequences. We want lasting consequences on our children. We want them to have a healthy respect and a healthy fear of authority. Whether it's their parents, whether it's the police officers, whether it's uh, government above them, obviously within reason, um, as long as they're um, being godly in their pursuits. But we want our children to have a healthy fear of those in authority. One thing that has sickened me in the last year or so is these YouTube videos and things that are going on, if you've seen some of them in the wake of the recent critical race theory um, riots, in the aftermath of that, people are now always questioning the police officers and go and recording them and saying, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you arresting someone? What's your authority in doing this? What's your name? What's your badge number? I'm going to, you know, have you seen any of these videos? It's absolutely disgusting. There's absolutely no fear and respect there for authority. Praise the Lord that when I was a child, my parents raised me in a way where there was fear and respect for those that are in authority over me. Even so much now that if I'm not doing anything wrong, when I see a police officer, I see the blue and red sirens, I slow down a little bit because I know I have a tendency to speed. Or I know I have a tendency to run through that yellow light just a little bit too late. And I know this about myself. And if I had no fear and respect for authority over me, I'm headed towards a path of destruction. Proverbs 22:15, same chapter says, "Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him." Proverbs 23:13 and 14, "Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol." We spank because the Bible tells us to. I should make a song about that. It's not saying that we necessarily spank for every matter. Maybe not just for silliness or because we're frustrated. But we're called to correct willful disobedience. Willful disobedience, we are called to correct as parents. One thing that we're going through right now, struggling with our children, is keeping your seatbelt on in a moving car. And it's become so dangerous that I continually look back at those that are in the far back seat. And if a seatbelt is coming off, I'm almost getting in a car crash. So now I have to pull over to the side of the road. But my daughter doesn't understand that this could bring her to her destruction. Continually taking off the seatbelt after I say, put the seatbelt back on. Two minutes later, it's back off. Willful disobedience. That's, we are called to correct that. I also want to say this. Correction should be uncomfortable. It should not be something lighthearted. 
We need to teach children what discipline means and that there is a consequence for their actions. This is biblical. You're doing a disservice to your children. And I'm, I, we're, we're guilty of this as parents, and I'm sure many of you are as well. But we're doing a disservice to our children by swatting them constantly for little things and tapping them on the, on the hand. We're not teaching them what discipline is. Now, I know that you know, some of you have probably strong feelings about spanking and about um, issuing punishment to children. And you say, well, Jonathan, well, what about children with special needs? What about those that have difficult situations? What about those that are on the autistic spectrum? There are difficult circumstances out there. And I will be the first person to raise my hand and say, I do not have the answer for every circumstance. But I will say this, that the Lord put us in a body of believers around us with other individuals, that if you're struggling in this manner and you're not sure how to go about this with your children, that there's probably someone else in the people of God here in this church who have dealt with some of these same issues. And that's why the Lord gives us a body of people around us to be able to to help us through these issues. Hebrews 12 says that if we do not spank, if we do not discipline, we do not love our sons. We do not love our daughters. And ultimately, they're illegitimate children. Turn to Hebrews 12 quickly. We're going to read starting in verse 6 all the way at the end of your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And this is where we're going to make a transition from discipline to theological love. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Praise the Lord. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And if you underline in your Bibles, underline this, especially with what we're looking at this morning. But later, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. One last note about discipline is that when we are disciplining our children, we need to point them to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Ultimately, we discipline our children to teach them what it means to... to teach them what it means to um, understand punishment for their wrongdoing... But ultimately, it points to Jesus Christ and on the cross and where the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ so that we do not have to ultimately, those that are in Christ, experience his wrath because Jesus did that for us. And that's what we deserve. 
but he did that for us. He took the ultimate discipline on our stead. And if you're not teaching that to your children in the midst of your punishment and your discipline, whatever it may be, then you're doing your children a disservice. Lastly, I want to transition to my my third point, theology and love, or love rooted in theology, love rooted in the character of God. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians is essentially a commentary on this verse. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6, the classic New Testament passage where the Apostle Paul is speaking about children obeying their parents and then ultimately parents' responsibility, father's responsibility to their children. Ephesians chapter 6, first of all, it says, Children, obey your parents um, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you in the land. That's to our children. But then on the backside of it, uh, Paul, who was raised, knowing the law, was raised um, as a a Jew of Jews, would have known the, the Old Testament very well. And he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. Sounds very similar to what we're talking about this morning. So bringing them up in the fear and discipline of the Lord is what we are supposed to do. But he also, in the beginning of this, talks about what we're not supposed to do. And we're not supposed to provoke our children to anger. And I, you think about that. Well, what does that really mean? I always provoke my children to anger. They're always angry and frustrated at me as a parent. Um, And, you know, I've heard a lot of sermons on this and illustrations on this that are just very confusing, and I don't think that what Paul is talking about, it wouldn't be consistent with his theology to say that, you know, we provoke our children to anger, that we shouldn't uh, uh, bow down to their wishes, and that we, you know, if we don't agree with their fashion choices, that we should just bow down and let them do whatever they want to because they're going to get angry about it. That's not at all what he's talking about here. And I think ultimately he's, he's talking about loving our children, loving them in the Lord, loving them in the way that our Heavenly Father loves us. So here's just a few quick things on provoking children to anger. We provoke our children to anger when we fail to take into account their maturity, their immaturity, when we expect them to do things that they cannot Praise the Lord that He is gracious like that to us, and we should imitate that to our children. We provoke our children to anger when we treat them harshly or overbearing. Yes, we should discipline them, but we do not treat our children harshly. We do not punish them in a, in a manner that, that uh, ridicules them or that brings pain or punishment on them that would leave lasting marks. We do not beat our children. We do not draw blood on our children. We provoke our children to anger when we are always pointing out their faults. Their faults, excuse me. 
focusing on the things they get wrong, and this is something that I have to be very careful about with a parent. If my daughter brings me a uh, sheet of her homework and her math problems, the first thing that I want to do is automatically go and look, well, where did you get this wrong, instead of looking over maybe the 20 that she got right. Praise the Lord and our Heavenly Father that He does not do that to us constantly. We provoke our children to anger when we don't meet them where they are, understanding that each child is on a different level. We provoke our children to anger when we're not consistent in our discipline, when they don't have proper expectations of what it is that they should be doing. And we punish them harshly for some little thing that they did, and we let them get away with with big things. We have to be consistent in the discipline that we give them. We provoke our children to anger when we expect our children to learn without imitating for them what they should do. A couple of years ago, my oldest daughter made a comment to my wife and I that she noticed that someone in church was taking very good notes. And I'm thankful for that person. It wasn't either one of us. But that person was imitating what the child should be doing. Do you pay attention in church? Do you imitate for your children what it's like to lead a godly life day in and day out? Loving your child is telling them to stop and that they are going the wrong way, that they're headed down a path of judgment, that they're on a highway to hell without the grace of a mighty God. We love our children. They are a gift from a holy God. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the, Lord, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We have a compassionate and loving father. Finally, as we draw to a close here in the last couple of moments, um, I think that one of the best places to look in Scripture to see the love of the character of God for his children is in the story of the prodigal son. So turn quickly to Luke 15. You should all know this passage well. We won't read the entire thing, but ultimately, you know the story. The son goes out and squanders his inheritance, squanders his inheritance and is living in such a way where he finds himself in great need. So he squanders his inheritance, and then verse 15, picking up, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And then verse 17 here is what you should underline. But when he came to himself... But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to the father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against you and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let's celebrate. For this is my son. He was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Why, why did the son come back? It was because of the character of the father. Which is why we need to, as parents, model and imitate God's character to our children and be compassionate to them and be forgiving to them. He returned because of the character of his father. I know that there are some out there whose children are not walking with the Lord and who are out in the ways of the world. And we have hope here in this verse. We know that, as Tim has said over the last few weeks, um, many things about Proverbs that they don't necessarily apply in all situations. I can't tell you and promise you that all children around the world of of believers are, are going to ultimately be saved and are ultimately going to turn and follow the Lord. But what I can say is we have hope here that if we instruct them and discipline them and love them, that when they're old, these things will not depart from them. So what do you do when your child is out in the world and they're wayward, when they're downtown shooting up heroin, when they're downtown at a homosexual club dealing in homosexual ways, all the things and the filth and the dirtiness of what's going on in the world because there's people that their children, that's what they're doing. We trust in the Lord. We pray for them. We get on our knees and we pray for them. And we read and we have hope in this verse that if we've instructed them in the way of the Lord, if we have disciplined them rightly, and if we have loved them and imitated our Father's love to them, that it will not depart from them. There's many stories of those who have gone wayward and come back to the faith. It happens all the time. Here's a bit of a closing exhortation for you all, um, just kind of as a reminder of what we talked about. Parents, train your children. Be an adequate trainer. Take the time to humble yourself. Be committed to start when they are young. Parents, discipline your children. Teach them they are sinners, that they're on a path of destruction without the grace of an almighty God, that you discipline them to point them to Jesus Christ. Parents, love your children not by provoking them to anger, by teaching them repentance, and by forgiving them as our Heavenly Father forgives us. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. I pray that you would be glorified by the reading of it and by the study of it, and I pray that we as a people would be Conform to the image of Christ. I pray that this was fruitful um, for some of the parents in this room. I realize that some of this is controversial, but Lord, your word is controversial. But we praise you for it, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the salvation we have. We thank you that you disciplined Christ on our behalf so that we do not have to endure eternal punishment. We thank you for your love and we thank you for forgiving us, those who are wallowing in our own filth, that you take care of us, that you cleanse us in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
We love you and we thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.